unto that. I'm going to go ahead and read our passage for this morning, and it is coming from the book of Luke, chapter 22, verse 14 through 23. And here it is. This is towards the end of Jesus' life, his ministry. It says, when the hour came, he reclined at the table. That just means he was sitting at the table. And the apostles with him. And then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, <clears throat> he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me, for the Son of Man will go as it has been determined. Woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue amongst themselves which of them it could be who was going to do it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are gathered here uh, in your presence to worship you, to remember the wonderful things that you have done, Lord God. Remember your son, the Lord Jesus, and his great love for us, your great love for us in him, Lord. And we're here to hear your words, Lord God, to hear the word that goes out of your mouth, Lord, and uh, pray that that word would bear fruit and accomplish the purpose for which you send it. And we ask this in the power and uh, in the presence of your spirit. In his name we pray, amen. So uh, we've been in a, a teaching series for a couple weeks now called Exalted. And we're just very simply looking at what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian, to be a disciple? And, and here's what we've covered so far, right? We have covered that the way up is down. We looked at uh, the topics of, of pride and humility. As Jesus said this, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, last week, we looked at the way to live is to die. Jesus said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me will save it. So we talked about dying to ourselves. Self coming down off the throne and worshiping at the true throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, what, this is what we've been talking about so far. Today, our passage is about the Lord's Supper, right? So every week, we have this table over here. We have bread, and we have a cup, and we dip bread in the, in the, in the grape juice, and we do all that. Jesus' church has been doing that for 2,000 years, that followers of Jesus, ever since this story right here, have been doing that, taking bread, breaking it, dipping it uh, in juice, and uh, we've done that through many ups and downs, twists and turns. I mean, think about what all has happened in the world in 2,000 years. There's a lot of stuff. Um, just like the song Amazing Grace says, through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have come thus far. So Christians have been through many dangers, toils, and snares, dipping that bread in that juice and remembering uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Life isn't easy, is it? If you're living in this world and you're a human being, life is not easy. Many difficulties, many struggles, 
ups and downs. Uh, Chris Stapleton, he's a um, country artist. He's got a song called Hard Living, right? Life is hard, but sometimes we make it harder because we live hard, right? And I know, I know you guys know what I'm talking about, right? He, he says in that song, he's got a line that says, I could never walk the line. So as Christians, as disciples, it's hard to walk the line, isn't it? Jesus is out there in front. We're supposed to follow him, and we're like, oh, we'll go this way. All right, I'm going to dip and dab over here, uh, Jesus. I'm going to live hard, right? And, and, and it's hard following Jesus. It isn't easy. And it makes us ask questions like, what's the way forward? And that's what I really want us to think about this morning. What is the way forward in life for you? What is the way forward for you today, tomorrow, the rest of your life for us as a church? Now, in the context of this passage, Jesus is sharing a meal with his followers. It's famously called the Last Supper. Right? Are you guys familiar with the, I know you are, the, the painting of Jesus and all his disciples. He's in the middle. It's called the Last Supper. It was done by uh, Leonardo da Vinci. I think I got a, I think I got a picture of this. Yeah. It's in a uh, convent in Italy. It's uh, 30 feet wide, 15 feet tall. It's massive. But this is what the, this is what the painting is referring to, is this story here uh, called the Last Supper. And Jesus says to us here in verse 19, Luke 22:19, 19, he says, do this in remembrance of me. So we're supposed to dip that bread in that juice to remember Jesus. So... There's something about this meal that helps us think about how to move forward in life, what we should do, how we should think, what is our hope. Me and my family, we recently went down to the, to the river and um, parked along the, on, along the road there along the river, and uh, we got all of our stuff and hiked it down there, dropped the watermelon along the way. So, uh, yeah, we hung out there for several hours. And uh, I was like, you know what? I don't feel like packing all that stuff back up out of here. I'm going to take my truck down to the river. So I put it in four-wheel drive and took it down through the path and right on the river, on the rocks and everything. Now, uh, I didn't realize how tight that path was getting back up out of there, so I didn't make it on my first attempt, right? So I got stuck. I was stuck there thinking I might, I might be stuck down here at the river with my truck, but I'm from West Virginia, right? <laughs> So what I did was I punched the gas even harder, came up right out. That was an awesome dad moment, mm, you know, came up out of there. But the uh, point was I was stuck, you know, and being stuck like that is not that bad, you know. But being stuck in life is not fun, is it? Um, when you're feeling lost, feeling like you don't know uh, what to do, confused, bored, empty, anxious, and maybe that's how you feel in your life at times. All of us feel that way. Maybe you feel that way this morning. The question is, what is the way forward? How can you move forward uh, in life? This meal over here, the Lord's Supper, shows us that the way forward is back. That is the way forward. The way forward is always back. That's what this passage shows. The way forward is back, all the way back to something called the Passover. Don't get tripped up on it. I'm going to explain it. Luke 22, uh, 14 through 15. When the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him, and then he said to them, Jesus said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So Jesus was a Jewish man. 
He was doing what all Jewish people do. He was celebrating uh, this Passover. And even today, you know, even today, millions of Jews all throughout the world celebrate this meal every year. And it involves food and drink. It involves uh, words that are recited. It's a ceremony. And uh, the whole point of this meal is the story about Moses and how the people of Israel were in slavery and, and under Pharaoh down there in Egypt. And God sent Moses uh, to them, and they slaughtered lambs. They sacrificed lambs. They painted that blood on the door frames of their houses. And God sent judgment on, on Egypt and delivered his people through the sea. That's what this story um, is all about. And uh, you can read about it in Exodus, Exodus chapter 12. I encourage you to read about it. Exodus chapter 12, let me show you this, verse 26 and 27. When your children ask, what does this mean? What, is the, what does this ceremony mean to you? You are to tell them, you are to reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck down the Egyptians. He spared our houses, so the people knelt low and worshipped. In order for you to make sense out of your life, you have to understand this table over here. That's what Jesus is saying. And the only way to understand that table over there is to understand and to go back all the way to this event called the Passover. My, my grandmother, she passed away uh, at the beginning of this year, and we, uh, we had her memorial service a couple weeks ago. We had people coming down from Chicago and Washington uh, State, uh, Texas. Uh, we all got together. And we had a wonderful time over at my house, and uh, we, uh, we just celebrated her life and were thankful for her, and we all told stories, and uh, my family uh, incriminated themselves telling these stories, right? All these crazy, that's why we were laughing and having such a good time, because everybody told them about people being dropped on their head and all kinds of crazy stuff, and it totally clarified for me uh, why I'm a little bit crazy and why my family is a little bit uh, crazy, but it was clarifying. And this story about the Passover is clarifying. It helps us to understand uh, our lives. Uh, this story means something in the story of the Bible. See, the Bible is a story, right? And the Passover is a part of that story. And without that story, our lives don't make any sense, right? And I'm going to explain that, right? The story occurs in Exodus chapter 12. The book of Exodus is the second book in the Bible, comes right after Genesis, all right? And Genesis tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It tells us where everything came from. It tells us the meaning of everything, that everything is, comes from God. It exists for him. The book of Genesis is the origin story for everything. Uh, me and my girls, last week, we watched the movie How to Train Your Dragon. And uh, that, that's a story about um, a Hiccup, right? Hiccup was a little 15-year-old, scrawny little 15-year-old, and he came from the, uh, the Viking village of Burke, and he was the son of the chieftain. And it's all about him growing up in this Viking village, right? So that's his origin. Genesis tells you your origin, where you came from, right, and your purpose and your meaning uh, in life. It tells us that the God who created everything is the God of the Passover. 
Genesis, Exodus, that God went down into Egypt and got a people for himself, that he rescued a people for himself in Egypt. And here's the point of that. God chose the nation of Israel to be the people through whom he would bless you, through whom this message of salvation and of Jesus would come to you here this morning, that God fulfilled his promises through uh, the people of Israel. So your story, your life story is connected to the story of the Passover. So the way forward is the way back to the Passover. The way forward is also uh, back to the cross. All right, the way forward is back, back to the cross. So here Jesus is sharing this meal, this intimate setting uh, in this room uh, with his disciples. And you know that they expected Jesus to, to take the lead in this, lead this ceremony. And he did. Jesus led the whole ceremony. That's what he's saying here. He, he's the one doing all the, reciting all the words and everything. Except he made it about himself. Do you notice that? We just said that the story of the Passover is about how God saved Israel from slavery, but Jesus said, no, the story is actually about me. And he wasn't wrong. Luke 22, verse 19. Look at it. He took the bread and gave, it, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this and remember it to me. So Jesus puts a whole new spin on this Passover and says it's all about me, which is really bold if you think about it. He said, okay, this 2,000 year, these thousands of years of history and biblical interpretation, yeah, it's all about me. That's pretty bold, don't you think? So when we go over here and we take that bread in our hands, and that bread is broken, we are to remember the body of Jesus. Why did Jesus have to give his body to be broken? Just think about that. Why did Jesus have to give his body at the cross to be broken? Well, it is like the movie How to Train Your Dragon, okay? The whole thing is about how these dragons were coming and just wreaking havoc on, on the village, and they were supposed to kill the dragons. Well, Hiccup was not a dragon slayer, and neither are you. All right, see, the story, your story, your origin story is the dragon Satan is the one who's deceived all of humanity, and that all of us plunged us all into chaos, ruin, deception, lives, lies, misery. Listen to 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are of God and that the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. See, that's the truth. That all of humanity has been deceived by the evil one, right? And it's given into sin. That we come into the world um, as uh, sinners. This is why his body was broken for us. Because sin brings death into the world that we just go along with the flow. We, we follow the crowd and do what everyone... This is the way I thought before I was a Christian. I just did what everyone else was doing. I thought what I was doing was right. But it wasn't. Right? We become slaves of the devil, the Bible says. We live according to our desires. There's things that we want to do deep down once, and we go after them. We pursue them which results in us being an object of God's righteous judgment. And Jesus said, this is why his body is broken for us. You notice here, Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you. You see that? My body is given for you. And here's what that means, in your place, that Jesus flip-flop places with you at the cross. 
right? He substituted himself, just like the Passover lamb. When God judged Egypt, he said, okay, here's what you want to do to escape the judgment, that these lambs need to be sacrificed for you in your place. Slaughter these lambs, put the blood on the door frame of the house, and then the judgment will pass over you. So Jesus was sacrificed so that the judgment would pass over you. That's what Passover means. I want to show you this in another place in the Bible, Galatians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Grace to you, so this is the Apostle Paul writing to these churches in Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the, God the Father, and check this out, and our Lord Jesus Christ, look at this, who gave himself for our sins. See that? He substituted himself for us to rescue us from this present evil age. See, he did it in a, he, Jesus performed a greater deliverance than just rescuing some people from physical slavery. From the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. See, Jesus died at the cross as a substitute sacrifice for you. Jesus said, this is my body which is given. Listen to those words. This is my body which I willingly and freely give on your behalf. See, going back to the cross is about remembering. When you take that bread and you dip it in the cup, you go back to the cross and you remember what was given for you on your behalf. See, the body of Jesus is something that was given for you. It was given on behalf uh, of you. And this is one of the main reasons we have a hard time moving forward in life is because we don't go back to the cross. All right, this is why we get stuck and we have a hard time moving forward. We don't go back to the cross. We got to go back all day long, every day. We get stuck in life thinking that there's something that we got to give. Jesus says, no, it is given for you. There's something that we think we got to earn. We got to prove. We got to work hard. We got to obey. And we got to keep up to a certain point to earn God's love and stay in the love of God. Isn't that how it feels to follow Jesus? Man, I got to keep up with Jesus. I got to keep pace with Jesus. I got to earn Jesus' love and God's approval. And, and well, maybe here you're not a Christian, right? It's the same thing outside of Christ. There's something that you got to prove to everybody else. There are people's love and affection and attention you got to get. There's a righteous facade that you got to put on, some fig leaves you have to dress yourself up in in order for everybody to think that you're a good person. And that's religion. That's all religion. Religion is something that you got to do. You got to give, right? Listen, listen, to me, listen to me here. Here are your only options. Either it is Jesus gives his body for you or there is something that you have to give to get what you think you need. Let me say it again. Either Jesus gives his body for you at the cross or you got to give something, I don't care what it is, to get what you think you need. Christianity is not about what we give to God. It's about Jesus' body, which was given for us. And you know what that means on your part? This involves nothing on your part. Nothing on your part except your great need for it to be given to you. See, when we go over to this table over here, we don't go bringing stuff to God and offering sacrifices. No, we go to get what has already been prepared. And that is what Christianity is all about. Listen, to be a follower of Jesus, you need one thing, and here it is. 
your great need of Jesus. That is it. The only thing you bring to Jesus is all your sin and say, look at this mess right here. I need you, Jesus. That's it. That's all you need to follow Jesus is all your great need. Going back to the cross is how you start following Jesus. It is realizing what was needed, what had to be given for you. Do you realize that? Moving forward is going back to the cross. So in order to start following Jesus, you have to go back to the cross and to recognize what God had to give on your behalf, which was the death of his son and his body that was broken for you. Have you been to the cross? Have you started? Have you started this journey to follow Jesus? Because if not, you can do it right here, right now. What's stopping you? It is just recognizing you're a sinner, turning away from that sin, and beginning to follow Jesus, and just recognizing I needed him to die for me. I needed his body to be broken for, for me. And you know what? He did it. He died for you at the cross. All you got to do is just go and recognize, thank you, you did that for me. And you start following him. He died so that you could be forgiven of your sins and be delivered from sin slavery. Going back to the cross is how you continue to follow Jesus your entire life. That's the way forward. That's the only way forward. You never get over the cross. You never get above the cross. You never get beyond the cross and outpace Jesus. No. Being a Christian is living beneath the cross always. His death, his burial, the fact that he is resurrected, that he is my God and, and my king. That's how you make it forward uh, in life. And let me give you a specific example of what this looks like. What do you do when you blow it following Jesus? What do you do when you sin? Because guess what? When you become a Christian, you don't all of a sudden get zapped and you're perfect. No, there's still a remainder, a what, the, what theologians call in the indwelling sin in your life. So what do you do when the Holy Spirit brings it to your mind that you have broken God's commands? Well, here's what you do. You go back to the cross every time. And you don't go back to the cross wallowing in your guilt and shame. Ah! No, you go back to the cross thankful with a grateful heart that your sins are forgiven, that they're paid for at the cross once, finally, fully. This is what I do. Verse I always go back to, 1 John chapter 2. If anyone sins, we have an advocate, a helper before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins, not only our sins, but the sins of the entire world, who go back to the cross. You know what's interesting about the story about the Lord's Supper? Is that prior to this meal, people are plotting to kill Jesus. During the meal, they are stabbing him in the back. Right after it, his disciples get together and they talk about, man, who's the best? Who's the greatest out of all of us here? I'm the best. It's all about me, right? And then Peter denies Jesus publicly. And then he's betrayed. And then he's crucified and murdered, unjustly tried. But what is Jesus doing? He's offering bread to everybody. He's offering this cup to everybody, even to Judas. He offered the bread and the cup to the person who was betraying him. What does all this mean? It means that Jesus loves and died for us as sinners. It means that 
just like you need bread to survive and live, you need the death, the broken body of Jesus. You need his forgiveness. There was bread, but there was also a cup. Verse 20. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So Jesus broke the bread at the Lord's supper, and he offered the cup. Now, if you've been with us for a minute, you know that I'm into gangster movies. Don't judge me. Right? I need Jesus too, right? Uh, but my favorite is The Godfather, right? And there's an epic line in The Godfather where he says, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Right? This means through force right, and threats, he's going to get the result that he wanted. Jesus offers the cup, but it's not like that. Right? He's not going to put a hit on you. He's not trying to uh, you know, kill you or anything like that. He's trying to offer you life and salvation. The cup is a symbol. This cup over here is a symbol of his bloodshed to secure for you all the promises and benefits of the new covenant. Now, I'm going to explain that. What is the new covenant? What is a covenant? Right? A covenant is just a promise. It is a solemn promise, a solemn oath. And you know what? That's what the whole Bible is about. If you're here and you're like, what is this crazy what is this book all about? Let me tell you what this book is about. Very simply, it is about a promise that God made and a promise that God kept in Jesus. That's what the whole book is about. This is not some rule book meant to beat you down. This is not some mystical book. You just turn the pages and all of a sudden magic happens or anything weird like that. This book is about a promise that God made and how he kept it in Jesus. And that is what Jesus is saying here. This, you got to get what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, my blood secures all of God's promises for you. Jesus believed this. He believed that all of God's promises that he made, this whole book, there's a lot in there, y'all. There's a lot in there. We could spend months and lots of time talking about it. Jesus is saying, it's all going down through me, through my life, through my death, through my burial, through my resurrection. I want, to, I want to show you a place in the Bible where it talks about this new covenant. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33 and 34. Instead, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. This is God speaking. The Lord's declaration, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer <clears throat> will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. So what are the promises that we are believing when we go back to the cross? When we go over here and we dip that bread in that cup, what are the promises that we're banking on that are secured by the blood of Jesus? Let me run through a list of them. Y'all ready? Y'all ready for this? Okay, I'm going to run through a list of what we just read. Here it is. Because of the blood of Christ, God writes his word on our hearts. Here's what that means. We believe it's all true. We know it's true. We hear God's voice in the scriptures. He writes it on our heart. And here's what he does. He gives us that want to deep down. I want to believe it. I know it's true, and I'm going to try my best to walk in it. That's what it means. Right? You got that desire in your heart to Obey. And you may struggle, you may fall, but you know what? You get back up. 
You get back up and you go back to that cross and, and you, you keep at it. Because of the blood of Jesus, God becomes our God. He is our God. We are his people. Because of the blood, we know him. We can know the living God. We can know the creator. We can know that same God who rescued Israel uh, out of slavery. We can have a relationship with him. And walk with him and talk with him and, and know him. Because of the blood, God forgives completely. Did you, read, did you hear that? Did you hear it? What he said in Jeremiah, he says, For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. That's the promise God made. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God does not remember your sin? That's, if you believe in Jesus, that's true. If there's any guilt, doubt, get rid of it. Your sins will never be remembered. This is true. What a promise. What a gift. When you go over and dip that bread in that cup, you are saying they're gone from God's sight. No guilt, no shame, no condemnation, never again. This is the only way forward and no other. Going back to the cross reminds us that God, through the power of his spirit, helps us, enables us to obey his commands in whatever circumstance or situation we're in. Because he writes his word on our hearts. Isn't that what you want to do with your life? Don't you want to obey God? Don't you want to please him? Is that your heart? See, that's the heart of every true disciple. You may, you may fail miserably at times, but that's not the point. The point is your heart. What do you want to do? All right, you got to see that the very fact that you want to do that is the fact that God is at work in your life. Going back to the cross remembers us that we can have a relationship with God on a daily basis. This is crazy. This is amazing. Let me ask you a question. If you can have a relationship with God on a daily basis, are you having a relationship with him on a daily basis? Here's how you can do this. Read your Bible daily. Listen, God is talking all the time in the book. All we got to do is just get in the scriptures. And if you don't know how to do that, we're here to help you. Memorize the Bible. Like, did you just see that, that verse I just pulled from my head from 1 John? You know why I got that there? Because I'm a sinner. And I need to know when I blow it that God still loves me and that he forgives me. I need to know that if I confess my sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I need to know. Romans 8, chapter 1. Therefore, there is now no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You gotta memorize it. Write it on your on a card, put it on your refrigerator. Put it on the put it on your, your phone. When you pull it up, every time you see it, it's right there. Put it on your computer screen. Listen to the Bible in your car. Sing, sing good songs. You can walk with him daily. You know, you know, God is with you, right? God is with you daily. You can talk to him all day long. Every situation, every circumstance you can bring um, before him. You know, you can pray for everybody. Everybody in your life, you can, you can uh, talk to God uh, about them, right? You can praise God. You can sing to him. Right this morning, I was walking through my yard. I had to put up some stuff outside, put up a ladder, had all kinds of junk outside. I had my phone in my pocket. I had music playing. I was walking through my yard just singing. Right? My neighbor probably out there, he probably thought I was crazy. I don't care. I was singing to him. You can praise him. 
Right? Going back to the cross reminds us that we can do all these things. The Lord's Supper shows us that the way forward is back. Back to the Passover, back to the cross, but also back to the future. Okay? Two times in this story of the Lord's Supper, Jesus mentions the future coming kingdom. I want to show you this, verse 16 through 18. For I tell you, I will not eat it again, look at this, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. That's future. Then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. Check this out. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So the way forward is back to the future. Let me ask you, do you want to make progress in life? You want to make progress. Well, all right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we do. Do you want to move forward in life? Then you have to have some type of hope for the future. That's the only way to move forward is to have real hope, not a make-believe hope, not a hope that makes us feel good, sounds inspirational, but concrete hope. Today's Father's Day, and I hope to have a steak. That's my hope. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about having a steak uh, later on uh, this evening. Now, is that wishful thinking? Am I just like, am I throwing it out there so maybe someone will go and, and get me a steak? No, because my wife told me that's what's going down. We're going to have steak. Now, I've got to grill my own steak, I think, which is pretty messed up on Father's Day. No, I've got a friend back here who's going to grill it for me. All right, yeah, so that's what's going to happen. We've got another father who's going to grill our steaks, all right? Yeah, so here's, what, here's, here's my point saying all that, right? Listen, we can bank on these promises of Jesus because he said it. This ain't no wishful thinking. This man walked out of the grave, rose from the dead. He is the the Messiah. He is the true king, is resurrected uh, from the dead. The kingdom of God is the only way forward because that's actually what is forward. All of history is moving forward to a particular moment when God's kingdom finally and fully comes. See, that is the future. That is what's going on. History is not just meaningless. It's God's story. It's the unveiling of God's purposes and God's plan in the world. So what is the kingdom of God? What is that? That's weird. Here's what it is. It is God setting everything straight. That's the kingdom of God. God making things right. My neighbor is um, putting a deck in up at his house. And he was up there putting a post in the ground and everything, and he was trying to make it square. Right? It has to be square so it doesn't look ridiculous, and it's safe and sound and all that. So everything, I don't know all about that carpenter stuff, but you know what? It had to be square, right? That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is Jesus coming back to square everything up according to his measurements, not our measurements, He is the one who defines everything. He is the one who tells us what is right, what is wrong, what is square, and he's coming back to do it. And here's what that means. God will one day remove the presence of sin from your life. I can't wait. I can't wait till I'm done struggling with sin, fighting sin, sinning against my Lord grieving the Spirit of God, bringing misery into my own life. And he's going to remove it, not from my life, but completely out of the world. 
one day he will remove, God will destroy the dragon, that is Satan, the devil, finally and completely. That means no more evil, no more demons and demonic oppression and demon possession and just the oppression of, of evil. And God will heal this broken creation. God will heal nature. Right? It will no longer have its foot on us and kill us and fight against us. God will raise the dead and resurrect our bodies. Praise God. I'm looking forward to that day. No more diabetes. I have type 1 diabetes, by the way. Heaven will come down when Jesus returns. You see, and the kingdom of God doesn't just come all of a sudden at once at the end of history. That's not the way Jesus spoke about it. Here's uh, what Jesus believed about the kingdom of God. It comes in stages. The first stage was in his ministry, in his life. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. So Jesus believed the kingdom came when he came. Another stage was in his death and in his resurrection, when the king was victorious over all of his enemies. And Jesus has risen from the dead. Now all his enemies are being put up underneath of his feet. But his kingdom is also his church. That Jesus is ruling and reigning in and through his people. That is the church. Why the church is so important. But one day, he is going to crack the heavens and come, come back and do everything that we just talked about. So Jesus said this. He said, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus said, listen, the kingdom has come because I'm here. But he also said, hey, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. So it's already come, but it's still yet to come fully. So think about this for a second. Don't you know that the king has already come and that he is, uh, he is victorious in his resurrection? Don't, don't you know that the king, Jesus, is on the throne, that he's ruling, he's reigning, he's got everything on lockdown. He's doing exactly what he wants to do in the world. Do you know? that Jesus is at work through his church. That is his kingdom. Do you know that Jesus' kingdom is advancing in the world against the kingdom of darkness? Do you know he's making progress? Like Jesus is killing it. Jesus is tearing it up in the world. As we worship him as a church, as we preach the good news, as we love one another, as we turn away from sin and repent of it, the world doesn't have this hope, y'all. And here's why. A lot of folks in the world, here's what they believe, that, that, that we came from nothing, that somehow through a long process of time plus stuff, matter, plus chance, which chance is nothing, by the way, somehow human beings popped out, right? And all this complexity and diversity in the world. So here's what that means. If you believe that in the theory of evolution, you know, that we just came from nothing. Here's what that means. You mean nothing. It means your life doesn't really matter. You're just an animal and just some stuff, some juices flowing. Your life has no meaning and no purpose ultimately. And that ultimately you're headed for nothing and the world is going to explode or burn up or a star is going to hit us or, or whatever. All right? That's the world's hope. Came from nothing, you are nothing, and you're headed uh, for nothing. But because of Jesus... Our future is incredibly bright. Praise God. Praise God. 
right, that there is true progress in the world. It's not the way the, the world defines progress. It is only the progress of Jesus' kingdom. There is a right side of history, but it's being on Jesus' side and belonging to his kingdom. There is true political victory. It's Jesus' kingdom. There's always a way forward, you guys. There's always a way forward. You don't have to be lost in the world. Jesus said, I came to seek you out. I came to find you. I came to seek and to save those who were lost. You don't have to be stuck in life. You don't have to be stagnant as a person and, and as, a, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. Here's all you got to do. All you got to do is go back to Jesus. All you got to do is go back to him every day, all day. All you got to do is go over here and taste this bread, taste this cup, taste the future, taste the body and blood of Jesus' coming kingdom. And that's, what we want, that's how we want to 